Rightcast Research Innovation Practice Enterprise you're listening to Ripecast, the podcast series for all things research, innovation, practice and enterprise here at Dublin Business School. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Brennan. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's fantastic to see you. Now, we haven't seen each other for a long time, but like, I'm going to have to confess at the start, you're, you are a graduate of DBS. That is correct. And a graduate of the film program, I believe. That's right. So perhaps what might be interesting for our listeners is to kind of tell the story of what happened after someone handed you your certificate and said, no more DBS, your next steps. Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated DBS and I was delighted to be in the inaugural year of the Film Base uh, Feature Masters program, where actually as part of the graduate year, they selected three of the classmates to actually direct a feature film, and I was chosen as one of those directors, which honestly launched my career in filmmaking because it premiered in the Galway Film Festival, yeah, yeah. and then I made sure that while it premiered, I learned this lesson from Christopher Nolan, yeah. in an interview with Christopher Nolan, I made sure that I have a project ready yeah. to pitch while I'm on stage at the end of the film, yeah. and knowing no one's going to ask, I had somebody in the audience ask us what's next and Possibly. I was like looking around going I've got something next and that was how it, I launched my actual career. We should also <laughs> say it was actually your film script that you made as well wasn't it? No I actually sold them that film script that I pitched. Light today? Yeah that's yeah. right I directed Keys to the I co-directed Keys, Keys to, to the, the City. City yeah remember that and I yeah. pitched my idea, The Light of Day, yeah. on that stage in Galway, and eventually I sold it to Filmbase that was, I believe, year three's feature film. Because that was a kind of mock, uh, found footage, horror type thing, wasn't it? Was it was basically... Mockumentary thing. Um, this is Spinal Tap, yeah. he's Ed Wood. Yeah. So it's like a group of inept filmmakers trying to make a vampire film. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So what did you learn from the movement from undergraduate degree where basically we told you to write about films? Yeah. There were very few options for actually making things. Well, I'm guessing you just spent your time making in your spare time because that's kind of what you do. Yeah. What did you learn from actually getting involved in a feature film as a student? Because it's a significant step, isn't it? One thing I noticed was I was in the class, in the film-based master's class, and they would bring professionals in to yeah. tell us about their specific craft, the director, the yeah. editor. And there were some people in the class that knew them, and I didn't know them. So my thought was, I need to know them because the more I'm learning, the more I'm realizing I need to build this network. Yeah. Like If no one knows me, they're not going to read my material, mm. so it doesn't matter how good you are, because I have this theory that the greatest screenplay of all time has never been made because the person didn't know how to hustle it, yeah. so it's just sitting on a dusty hard drive in a cupboard somewhere, and so I had to make it sure that I introduced myself to people, yeah. but I wanted to do more than, hi, I'm Chris, so I would try to figure out how can I help them? Yeah. So there was this one director, Graham Cantwell, who had a film that he directed. It was a rom-com called The Comeback Queen. He was actually using music from a band that I did the music video for. So I was like, hey, you could take this live band music and I could edit this together for yeah, you. Yeah. And then at that point, I got selected as the director of Keys of the City. Yeah. So I never actually got to fulfill that side of the obligation. Right. However, it was the start of that. How can I introduce myself and try to add value and to show these, these people yeah. that, oh, if we collaborate together, it benefits you. It isn't just me looking for favors. Mm. But right away, what I learned first and foremost was it's all about the network and it's all about trying to show people 
that there's value in this relationship for you, not just for me. And it's also just about being brave and pushing yourself, isn't it, rather yeah. than standing back and waiting, because no one gets to dance if you stand at the edge of the dance floor. You're the one that has to kind of move into it. It's interesting also, because what your journey tells me is it's that movement from theory to practice. Yeah. And that's a significant movement that we're really interested in as academics, as lecturers, as what we want for our students. Perhaps you might then talk about how you then developed interesting ideas about scripts. I'm thinking specifically about story breakers. Okay. Okay. Perhaps you might talk to me about that because I remember getting involved in this and my daughter was really excited because we created a concept for a film. Yeah. And you did a live show with you and Stephen, yeah, who actually um, brought this script to life. And I remember my daughter listening to him going, that's our story. Yeah. So perhaps you might talk about, and then we did a live event as well, didn't we? Do you remember? That's correct. So perhaps you might bring story breakers into the story. So while I was, after, I directed Keys to the City or co-directed Keys to the City and then I sold my screenplay I was getting hired to do various uh, screenwriter like I was hired as a screenwriter for various projects I was also the other side the day job I was running for over a decade now is content marketing Yeah. yeah. so I've always been really interested in new technological ideas and how to actually tell stories in unique spaces and so I noticed that me and a friend would always meet up after watching the film and we would talk about how we would have done it and that just turned into a podcast called Story Breakers where every single week we would meet together and come up with a brand new film idea from the top of our heads and we'd give it away for free and we did about a hundred episodes of that and one thing is it really makes you agile and it keeps you like that that creative muscle flexed and exercising where you just have to make a decision because creativity is micro decisions made often and that's actually what it is so being able to make those decisions on the spot can really train you for when you actually have to write something but then at the same time I've always been I've I've always been reading unproduced Hollywood blockbuster scripts I had this library of like Kevin Smith's uh, Superman the wooden planet alien 3 and one day I I went to see an actor's uh, script reading he wrote a screenplay got actors sitting down at tables and they would just read their screenplay I thought there's something here but what if they stood up and what if they basically try to act it out with the the pages in their hand Mm. it's limited but it would really give the audience us watching it a little more context to what they're doing like And that's when I had the idea. What if I took these unproduced Hollywood blockbusters and had actors perform them on stage? I put a background slideshow behind them because the first one I did was Kevin Smith's Superman Lives. And it starts with interior Brainiac skull ship. And I thought... I might need the audience to really visualize what that is. Yeah, yeah. And we did 10 shows after that. Every single show was a brand new script. Soon enough, we had uh, Jim Sheridan, this incredible um, sound and music producer. He would come on, he would sit on stage, and he would actually pipe in the music, the soundtrack, and effects live. He would track it. He'd have it listed on the screenplay. So when someone says, a laser was shot, he'd press the button to shoot the laser. And we'd have a hundred people in the audience. Like our average was usually a hundred people. We would take money and it it would go to charity because we didn't have the rights to use the material. Um, But it became this really immersive, like, improv comedy 
Yeah. Thing. If you, like it's all available on the Story Breakers podcast feed because we released the audio. I remember my wife walking by hearing the audio and she's like, what are you listening to? I'm like, it's the show. And she's like, it's just people like there's people howling with laughter. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, because we give the actors only two rehearsals because I wanted that bit of raw performance yeah, where yeah. somebody says and then he grabs Lex Luthor and picks him up and the actor has to figure out how to do it so he grabs an actor by the scruff of his shirt and the other actor goes on his tippy toes and that's enough for the crowd to go this is charming <laughs> now it's fantastic because what we also did is uh, we I run a research collective voices on film we did a live event called story 16 didn't we whether yes. it was the story breakers also we had a guy called games for kids who's one of yep. my favorite YouTube gamers. And we did a live event down in the film-based basement, I That's remember, correct. for DBS students and anybody else who was interested, where we did kind of a Q&A type thing. And then for the second part of the show, Story Breakers, you and Stephen led a spontaneous creation of a brand new game, I think it was, or the story of a game That's live right. with audience interaction. It was such a fantastic event because it brought together lots of areas of storytelling one of the things that's also interesting is that you are combining still combining mm -hmm. your marketing background with your writing experience so perhaps we might move on and talk about story chops so it's writing chops writing chops is, sorry forgive me no it's a brand new channel that I've launched on YouTube and it's basically incorporating what I noticed early on in screenwriting was the need of a network and the need to show myself as someone adding value. Yeah. And then when I left, I needed an actual day job to get out of my bar work lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. So I got into content marketing through video. And then now for over a decade, I've been in marketing, lead generation, content marketing. But as I've been doing that, I kept looking back at this other industry that I love and went, there's so much of what I do that these people are not being taught. Basically, they don't know that they don't know it. Mm. So I want to bring this to them. So Writing Shops is a YouTube channel that basically provides an education on basically the 360 degrees of a screenwriter's career and experience. So it's the art side and the business side. Mm. We do handle story structure, three-act structure, hero's journey, how to write dialogue, but we also show you practically how to register your screenplay. Yeah. We give you... Um, um, details on how to write an email to a producer, how to get a reply from a busy person. Mm. Like These are really critical things because, yeah. again, you can have the greatest screenplay in the world, but if you just went to someone you don't know and said, can you read my screenplay, they won't even respond to no, you. No, they won't. Or did you even know that the for the average time like for business in all verticals it takes three to five emails to get a response on average okay now imagine the amount of people that sent one email didn't get a reply and in their head they go he doesn't like me and they never contact yeah. the person again yeah yeah like even on my trip back to dublin i had to email a couple of people two to three times and then they meet me and go i haven't seen you in ages now imagine if i didn't send that second yeah, yeah. or third email yeah. Yeah. it's just people are busy and we have a tendency to think the worst of a non-response. Absolutely. Absolutely. So writing shops is really just trying to get people kind of up to speed with digital technology, communications, and just bring a bit more content, professional writing, and professional communication mm. to an industry that is very lacking that kind of education. Again, they don't know that they don't know it. Mm. So I, I did a class at Met Film in Berlin this summer. It was a five-hour class on screenwriter marketing. And I'm like, does anybody know what a call to action is? And no one raises their hand. And I went through this entire this is your screenplay promotional kit. I was even saying you can use AI for a lot 
proud of this. Like some people go, I hate to write a screenwriter's bio. And it's like, yes, but if you're going to submit your work to like festivals, yeah. to competitions, yeah. Yeah. for funding, there's going to be a section about you. Do you have to come up with that on the spot or should you prepare it in advance? And if you don't want to write about it, just get a AI to do it. <laughs> you know? Well, that's what I was going to ask you about next because one of the things I find is I'm using generative AI yeah. all day, every day. Key global workplace trend at the moment is productivity. Yeah. Now, one of the things you're describing with uh, writing chops is enhancing productivity, yes. bringing together theory and practice, innovation and enterprise. I genuinely believe that any task is made 30% simpler yes. by by using something like ChatGPT to at least do the brainstorming bit, yeah. then I can spend the better part of my time with the higher creative tasks, editing, rewriting, connecting, referencing, etc., etc. How does that feed into a writing space where mm. people are paranoid about their words? It's a really great question. And I had this recently enough when I was in Berlin and I met a screenwriter and he saw I was using ChatGPT. Yeah. And he's like, ew, was his response. Ew, he says. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to use it. It's gonna, it'll never replace me. I was like, oh, like I'm not writing like the screenplay using it. Mm. He's like, what are you doing? I'm getting it to write me project notes for a feature film that I've written. I've described to it what I want it to do. I want a professional production notes on how the who the audience is and how this why this screenplay should exist. Yeah. I was like earlier on I had to write me an email to a producer and then I had it right I'm like I'm using this to like formula like for brainstorming yeah. I use this yeah. for creating some of that press promotional material. Yeah. And he was just stunned cuz he never thought of it. He's mm. been actively avoiding it because he doesn't want it to help it replace him. But I'm trying. I was like, no, it's a tool to help you. Yeah. But I, it goes so fast. I understand and empathize with yeah. this fear of it. But that's also where developing writing shops as a brand is supposed to help bridge these two yeah. um, industries together: yeah. content and marketing, and screenwriting and filmmakers yeah. and authors as well. Like basically, creative writers that go, you don't have to fear this. This can actually become a really great friend yeah, of yeah, yours. Yeah. You know, it's not the Terminator, is it? With that, no. those red eyes staring at you. Also, interestingly, um, you also use it for your videos, don't you? You can use AI to develop transcripts and things. I think. Yeah, that's right. So, like, obviously, I've, I live in Berlin. I have a full-time job as head of content for a startup. I have two kids, all these responsibilities. I still write screenplays, and I run this channel. So I look for quick solutions, yep. and I'll go, I want to write this screenplay, or I want to write this script for yep. my next chop yep. on writing chops about story structure. To be honest, there's thousands and thousands of articles already written so I go give me it this way and I just give it to all the prompts I, yeah. I give it previous scripts that I've written myself I go give me a script and out it pops and there's my first draft yeah. already done yeah. which would have taken me probably four hours Yeah, I don't have four hours no. and honestly I'd rather this video exists than to go ah, I'm late so I've been using it to write scr the scripts now it's it's not you don't just press record on that. No, no, no. Because no. that's like it's like that get that's as you said really good. It was the thirty percent. It's yeah. like just get me started with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's it's a go to even for like blogs. So even for my actual job, I'll write the article. The work is quite unique because it's such a pioneering platform. Yeah. So it's difficult for me to have it write me a blog post on something that it, like it doesn't really exist. And it doesn't have the data set for. Exactly. Yeah. What I, what I'll do is ha I'll just dump my blog into it and go write me a link. 
LinkedIn caption because yeah. I really don't like doing that part. And yeah. it'll just read it and go, okay, here's your synopsis. And so there's all these little shortcuts that you need in life because for some reason we have technology that makes our life easier, but we're busier than we've ever been before. Exactly. I don't understand why, but let's just use this at least to help us kind of skate through some of the easy, like some of the the more accomplishable aspects of life. Fantastic, Chris. This sounds like another episode, so this <laughs> is to be continued. But to, for today, thanks ever so much for coming on to Ripecast. I My really pleasure. appreciate your input. This has been Ripecast, the podcast series for all things research, innovation, practice, and enterprise here at Dublin Business School. I'm Barney Taylor, and look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Go to DBS. <laughs> Chris, cheers. Was that all right? Right cast, research, innovation, practice, enterprise. <laughs>